those who do not have the power over the story that dominates their lives, the power to retell it, rethink it, deconstruct it, joke about it, and change it as times change, truly are powerless because they cannot think new thoughts. True power lies with those who can control their own story. You are the story that you tell yourselves. For, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community there that celebrates it and connects to it. It's easy to get um, stuck in the detail and in the process and, and forget that at the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through to the present and then on to the future, hopefully, if we do our jobs right. Our heritage has shaped who we are as a people and a place today. In this series, we celebrate the stories of Auckland, the Pacific, and beyond. I'm Mark Gosper, and this is the Heritage Talks podcast. Kia ora koutou, and thanks for tuning in. In the kōrero you're about to hear, Lenny Howcroft and Eliana Gabriel discuss the journey behind their recently published children's book, Barkle and Mr. Arkle. They'll discuss their tentative journey into self-publishing and how they developed the story of real-life characters who lived in the lost suburb of Newton East 80 years before a large part of the area was raised to make way for the Newton Motorway Interchange. Linny begins with a presentation explaining the background to the book and how the subject relates to the history of the area. Linny and Eliana are then joined by graphic designer Siowi Huang and illustrator Jade Oscar Harvey in discussion with Joanne Graves from the Research Central team. Haramai Titahi Ahua. Hi. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for coming. We didn't know who would arrive. <laughs> And, um, and I, I, from, I've spoken to a few of you and I've found that you are as interested in Newton East as what I have been for the last eight and a half years. Um, I have been looking at um, Burgess's roles and I've been looking at um, all the people that lived underneath the motorway because I think basically I'm a fairly nosy person. And, uh, um, and I've just collected them over the time and... Um, Eliana, who I'll introduce in a minute, she well, she'll introduce herself. Um, she encouraged me that that my research needed to be put out into the public domain, and let's do it as a kids' book. And we decided to do that, and the journey began two and a half years ago. So here's Ellie. Hi, I'm Eliana. I'm a um, history and art history secondary school teacher. And, um, yeah, just a long-term friend of Linny's that um, basically I've been on maternity leave uh, since we've been doing the book. And so this has been um, keeping my brain active. And um, and um, we've just basically just worked together writing and collaborating to, uh, to get all this information down and to weed out the excess, much excess information that we have. So it's been a, it's been a process. This is Hi, I'm Siwi. I'm one of the illustrators of the book. I'm mainly in charge of the drawing of all the buildings and put all the beautiful drawings and the words together. Um, yeah, and compound into this beautiful book. <laughs> Hi there, my name is Jade. I was in charge of the character illustrations, and so that was my role. And I work in 
animation, illustration, that sort of area. So. so we definitely became a team and we used Mahi, which is Māori word for work. We were the work team for Mahi Mahi Publishing is what we ended up because we self-published. We went to a publishing company um, and they were all excited, but it took so long. We thought, oh, blow it. We'll just get on with it. And we did. Now, Newton East, for most of you will know that it's actually, for me, it's ring, ring road around Karanghapi Road, Newton Road, and up at Simon Street. But actually, it also went down into the gully where Basque Park is. That was called Newton Street, and there was Macaulay Street and all that. So it goes a little bit broader. But for the sake of my research and my ethnographic modelling that I was doing, um, I kept it ring-roaded in those areas. So I lived in Caracas Street for 15 years, and the only building left, the only little wooden cottage, and I brought my children up there with my husband, and we owned a warehouse around the corner. So for 15 years as a Wellingtonian, I had no idea that this was actually a historic area. There was no indication, there was no plaques, there was nothing. And so when I went to uni, uh, back to Unitech and I did a degree, another degree, um, the unitary plan came out and I wanted to know the impact of public policy on a suburb. And of course, Newton. Why not Newton? There's a flipping motorway that goes right through the middle of it. And so I started um, early on, probably I went from 1900s to 1960, I started collecting the names of the people that live in the street, even putting the map back together. I didn't even know what was there. So for me, it was like, where's Wally? It was like a, doing a jigsaw puzzle, and it became very addictive. And eight years later, I'm still doing it, because I moved my way back right to 1860s and 1840s, and when it began, and who began, and who was in the Happy Highway Board, and, and the stories in the newspapers are hilarious, and they're funny, and they're fun. And um, I laugh out loud a lot, and so um, this is where Ellie said, right, let's put it into a book, and let's let another generation enjoy these stories. So that's what we've done. So this is what Ellie did. She actually said, right, let's look at these people and we're going to do a social history. So this is Mr Winston. He's quite fam famous. Who knows Winston ag aggregates or Winston Warboards? Okay. This is the Mr William Winston who started it. Winston's. Winston's. Now, Mr Winston um, didn't first live in Auckland here they, they were, he was in Freeman's Bay, but he moved up to St. Benedict Street, which was called Albert Street, then Gladstone, and now St. Benedict's. Now he, there he is there, isn't he gorgeous? There you go, there he is. But this horse later on, he, a huge, huge carting company. And he did furniture, and he did um, building the roads, he did Britomart, and there's a lot of great stories of, oh, it's not great, um, Britomart hills slid down and crushed people. And, and the saddest thing too about Mr um, Winston, he, he blew up his eye and his, his ear checking a dynamite, a piece of dynamite in the quarry at Mount Eden when he was quite young. And then his brother George came over and joined him and helped keep the business going. And then by 1892, he picked up his um, house and he rolled it but with, bullock, um, uh, with bullocks leading it to Mount Albert. So his actual house that was on St. Benedict Street is now in Mount Albert. Okay. So isn't he lovely? He's probably one of my... You know, I kind of get to like people, so I put him in because I liked them. And if you read about his stables, which are still there in St. Benedict's in the middle, 
of um, Upper Simon that you can go and see the, his stables. They were really state-of-the-art. They even had a fire system within them. So this is Philip Turner. He lives in East Street, okay, and he rented that house most of his life, but I've put him in for the children because there's a monkey story that's attached to him. And I don't think I'll even tell you. You'll have to look it up in papers past. But there were monkeys in Auckland, and they pulled pints down at the Swans Inn, okay, and they drank from people's tankers. So, But it's not a great story. When you, why I've asked at the back of the book for adults to read it with their children is because some of these stories are quite brutal and you need to explain these are adult concepts and helping the children out to understand how hard it was to live in Auckland in those days. Okay, next one. So then I chose, oh, Alice Butler. I had to have a woman and the women were tough in Newton. Oh my goodness, they were tough. But she was quite sweet from what I can hear. Mr McCassner. Now, Mr McCassner live, lives or lived underneath the Newton, East Bridge, the Newton Bridge from um, Ponsby Road up to um, Kyber Pass. You can see number one, I put it down there, that's where he lives. So he lived at the bottom of the gully, where all the rain went, and all sat, and the cemetery creek came down from the cemetery and went right down and through there and under Newton Road. So there was a lot of writing about how they levelled these ro roads out. So you'll see that this cottage would have been, it would have sloped that way. They've put the road up high and so anyway, I'm going to get Ellie to read the book. Mr Arkell was a clever man who wanted to build a factory that bottled delicious drinks. He scoured Auckland for the perfect piece of land and there, below Mrs Fairburn's home, he found the ideal spot. From Randolph Street to Gladstone Street, Mr Arkell proudly watched the factory grow, story by story. You see, he was a serious man who worked from dawn till dusk. The only thing that could make him stop and smile was his very large and never serious dog, Barkle. When Barkle was a puppy, he was smaller, much, much smaller. He grew up in a town called Mercer, surrounded by large swampy fields and the mighty Waikato River. While Mr. Arkle busied himself running the hotel and refreshment room, Barkle busied himself by playing and playing. But now, living in the busy suburb of Newton East, Barkle's love of meeting his neighbours made Mr Arkle nervous. Very nervous. Just last week, Barkle was excited to visit Mr Winstone, going off to work. Too excited. And then he was very excited to meet Mr McCaslin, who lived at the end of his street. Too excited. Then yesterday at dawn, Barkle was excited to meet the milkman, Mr Turner, delivering the daily milk. Too excited. Later that day, Barkle was excited to meet Mrs Fathers and Mrs Alice Butler. Too excited. Mr Arkle began to think that maybe it was time to move back to the country with Barkle. But not yet, for Barkle's antics had, with his neighbours had given Mr Arkle an exciting idea. What if Mr Arkell could help his neighbours? No more outside toilets. No more paying the night soil man to take their poos away. No more wells. No more unsafe roads. Mr Arkell knew that these ideas would help his neighbours and he knew just how to do it. The timing was perfect. You see, Auckland City was buzzing with excitement. The future king and queen of uh, England, 
were coming to visit New Zealand. The clever men who ran Auckland City had chosen a new leader for Auckland who would greet the royal visitors and show them around. But Mr Arkell believed he knew better. He knew a leader should be chosen by everyone, not just a few men. If everyone chose him to be the leader, then he could fix the city. So, bravely he told the men who ran Auckland City that he would enter the contest to be the city's new leader. But the clever men who ran Auckland City did not agree. They told Mr Arkell to stop. The gentleman that they had chosen to be leader will win. He is far too important. But Mr Arkell did not stop. He talked and talked about his ideas to all who would listen. Soon the day of the contest came. Mr Arkell was very excited to see if everyone would choose him. Sadly, too excited. Mr Arkell lost. But there was no time for Mr Arkell to mope around. For the very next day, Barkle was giving Mr Arkell many, many more new ideas. I just want to say how excited we were to work with the illustrators. So you can see that they have made history come alive. And without them, um, it would be a very boring book. <laughs> um, this, just pausing on this image here, this is actually what they had when the, this actually did happen in 1901. This is actual true story. Bark, uh, Mr Arkell did run for against uh, Sir Logan Campbell, and in the papers he was um, in the Herald. The editor wrote how terrible it was he would stand against such, such a prestigious man. And who, who, do the, who, who does he think he is? So he got 890 votes. So someone thought he was someone. Um, and so, but when the king and queen, the future king and queen did arrive, they had these neat triumphant arches all the way up Queen Street. So um, we had the artists, with Jade copied those and put them in. But yeah, and that's the, um, their special little launch. So, um, and then what we've done is where the adult and the child gather together and start using the archives. Because the biggest emphasis is this, is teaching children, young children, that within the archives there's some valuable information and it's easily accessible and it's fun. And so when they start learning research skills, they can start applying it to the rest of their learning. So this is probably the main emphasis behind the book, is to giving some platforms to learn how to do it. So. We've given some helpful directions on how to use papers past, which is where all the funny stories come from. So if you type in Mr Turner, or your, these stories will come up. You have to scroll down, that's why you need an adult, just to put yarn there. And then there's other ways, and that's um, take a walk around. and you know. So he was a really brave man, I thought, to stand against social um, pressure like that. So I was really impressed, and that's why I centred around him. Thank you, Linny. That was a wonderful um, presentation on the book. So um, I just want to start. Um, well, we know that you know Eliana and Linny. So you sort of worked on this together. You came up with the the push to get it um, to get it into into print. We know that you had a lot of information to begin with, so you really knew your stuff when you began. But when you decided to produce the book, just tell us a bit about how you then went into the process of producing the book. What happened next? You decided to do it, so then what happened? Well, we've actually just been working on the second book, and I can tell you that we've streamlined the process a lot. <laughs> we, 
<laughs> yeah, we've just um, sent that one to print today. Um, so it was really just the blind leading the blind, absolutely. So um, basically we worked on the story and um, and then we just started, um, yeah, kind of mocking up what we wanted as images and then we realised both of us were really bad at drawing and that the next process was um, illustrators. And so we we basically found um, both of these guys through friends and um, and then after we illustrated, we thought, how do we produce a book? And so we started <laughs> Googling that and and people that we knew and that kind of thing. So it's definitely, a, um, yeah, a fumbling. <laughs> um, the most amazing thing is out in the community that we live in, there are a lot of experts, and they've started up specifically doing what they do well, like there's a, something called a book broker. And they will take your book, which I've sent off to them today, and they'll take it to China. And now, I could have got it printed here, and I wanted to. I need to tell, I wanted to print it here, but I, it's just, the type of book that we've done, it's just not financially viable. I just don't have the cash for that. A publisher would do it, but I couldn't do it. So I sent, this book broker had coordinated between me and China, and that was totally worth the money using that. And the other person that I had, um, this book broker knew editors, so she gave me an editor. She knew, um, and we've used her on this, and, and then another graphic designer that took Seelwee's um, really clever way that she set the book up, and she took it and she made sure it fitted on the page properly, then gave it to the book broker, and then sent it off. So that's, now these two were found mainly because I set up the pages and it was, and I had someone that was so proud of it, and he goes, oh my goodness, no. I've got someone that I want to, that, especially the characters, and so I, he introduced me to Jade, and then another friend said, "You need someone that will set it up so it looks beautifully on, beautiful on the page," and that was Celie. So, I don't think we would have had the quality that we had if we didn't have them involved. So we're very grateful for them. Do you want to grab a microphone, um, Jade and Sue, <laughs> and just tell us about your role in the in the book and how you came up with the, like the images, um, you know, just just your role in the, the illustration, yeah. Um, so, um, I'm mainly doing the drawing of the buildings um, as um, an illustrator. So, because um, Lini is very particular on like how each line and the structure of the buildings are. So, we work together closely to get that right. Yeah. And as for the book, um, we... Um, make all the decision together as in like um, how big we want the book to be and the size of the font and how much um, and the layout of the whole book you know we have like how do we use the negative space and then to make it um, like a really um, um, yeah pleasant um, things to look at you know yeah we, we, we have gone to like a big Round of like a circle so, to so have we that was in decision. charge of, of taking the characters and putting them on the page and making sure that they work with the page. So, do you want to talk about the characters, mm. Jay? Yeah, so I had the um, the fun job of uh, doing all the characters, and Linny was you know spent hours telling me about each one and <laughs> who they were, and it was really interesting learning the attire and. Um, just who these people were in the everyday life. 
back then. Um, so I guess my job was to recreate that, to bring life to it, to um, make sure everything was historically correct. Um, so I had a lot of fun with that. Um, a lot of playful things because it was for, obviously it's a children's book, so definitely adding that element to the illustrations, making them fun, making them playful. It's quite an adult topic when you talk about, I guess, these sorts of subjects. So I guess it was really interesting approaching it and, and producing it in a format where it's for kids and adults at the same time. Had you done anything to do with history before? Like, was this your first time? Not history, no. Yeah. yeah. So the so advantage pretty... um, of driving it ourselves was that both Lydia and I got to really uh, play with what we love. And so as an art history teacher and also history, and then we have graphic design and um, and product design over and interior design with Linny. We got to really just do something different. Um, I, we often we spend a lot of time looking at children's books today, and often they are full color all the way to the edges and things like that. And we actually wanted to make a book that looked like or paid homage to um, earlier children's books. So if you look at the the kind of splashes of colour and the simplified um, nature of the colour, we wanted to link back to when printing was more simple and you'd have the text and you would have maybe some colour on some pages and no colour on other pages because obviously it was expensive and that kind of thing. So we wanted to look different and we wanted it to be a historical, um, yeah, a reference to what it had been and, and then, yeah, and, and be different because we wanted to present something different. So, yeah, it was great to have that freedom to be able to to, to, to strip it back and, and look at some of these older books and just and just play around with the beauty of them, really. How did it um, work, like with meetings, four of you? Because you all live in Auckland, yes, right? Yeah. So how did it, you know, how did you get together and discuss things and thrash things out? We met at the Verona <laughs> on K Road. Um, every week on a Thursday, I think, at after after work, because these guys worked after work. So I think I got Jade for a week or week or two weeks, but Selwy worked. And this last book we've done, we've had all our illustrators work full time and then come. Jade's lived at my place for six weeks, or kind of, and I've fed him, and I've <laughs> driven him. I've driven him for six weeks, and then we last weekend, hence the twitching eye I've got, um, we spent. 12, maybe 24 hours on getting the last of it done so we can get it out in time for Heritage Week on the first week of um, in October. Um, yeah, so these guys work hard. These illustrators work really, really hard. Hmm. Are there any, you know, sort of things that you would pass on in terms of working in a team, if anybody in here is sort of thinking about doing a family history or a, a local history? Um, you know, there might be the odd conflict. Oh, yeah, comes yeah. Up. heck yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, but I'm the boss. <laughs> no, I, no, it wasn't too much conflict because I trusted them and I trusted that they had my best interest. And I think that's the key to get people that actually want to work with you and enjoy working with you. And if there's anything at the start that indicates that, I'd just probably say thank you very much, here's your money, and I'll go and find someone else, which takes a wee while to find, but... Um, yeah, Jade, how yeah. hard was the, it for you, my man? Anytime you are working on something, you need to catch whoever's vision it is that they're trying to, what they're trying to produce. And I think that that makes things go a lot smoother because you begin to 
be passionate about what your client's passionate about and you really see what they want to achieve. So, Yeah, and also we are super transparent about our process. Whenever we make um, a new drawing, um, there will be critics, but we sit down together and then we go through bits by bits together and then we all make decisions together. So it's not purely coming from, um, I'm just employed to do this and then I will just listen to my boss accept every critics, not just that we are quite, we work quite organic. I was thinking at any point, did you want to give up? You'd invested so much time and already and so much money in it that it's not the sort of thing you can... I think I'll let Jade answer that. <laughs> I mean, I've wanted to pull the pin a couple of times. Yeah. Um, it took a wee while to get back on Narkle finished. I think it was about eight months, yeah? Eight months with the illustrators, but Ellie and I probably a year because she had a baby and, and then life gets in the way of writing a book, you know? You, you know, you can't just say, oh, let's... Which we tr thought we'd do this time, and that was just dumb. <laughs> well, you have to actually give life, room for life. And I think when you're writing too, you need to leave it for a couple of weeks. You need to let it breathe. And you come back to it, and you start editing it again. And, and um, see where you got married in the middle of it all? I mean, that was pretty inconvenient. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, and that, you know, all of those things, you just have to say, this is what life's about. You know, some, you might break your foot or something might happen, and you just have to let it go. And, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. yeah, I was wondering about deadlines. I mean, you know, you self-imposed deadlines, but they all, you know... Well, the deadline came when we realised we might have an audience for the Heritage Week. <laughs> and we did. We, we had about 130 people come to our um, openings, one at up at Queen Street and one at Karangabi Road. And look, the Business Association supported that. They put on a breakfast and a, and a supper, and they paid for the books free, and they gave them away to anyone that came, which they're going to do again, just letting you know, um, for Gertie and the Geese, for the new book. Bought Gertie and the Geese. So, and the, um, and like I said, it's for adults and children um, because the back of the book is to encourage you to find out more about your own heritage. Yes. So. You came to it, both of you, with quite a, a few skills, which is probably which is a huge advantage. Like if somebody was thinking of, of writing a history, you'd obviously would need to come into it with, you know, the skills of passion that that Jade talked about. Um, and producing a book like this, can you tell us a bit about the, the costs? You know, what, what it, your, your costs, I mean, it's a massive undertaking. It just sounds really, really expensive. Oh, yes, it is. Um, not too bad, okay? Um, it's under, under 20. Is that okay? Is everyone going to fall off the chair when I say that? Under 20, not dollars, okay, and not $20,000. How many copies was? Oh, 1,500, 1500. Which was a bit dumb at the time. But how do you know if you've never written a book before or distributed? Um, we have a distributor, called South Pacific Distributors, and they're great. They're really, they were so encouraging. But financially, it's not very viable. <laughs> um, you cover your costs, and they, and the, the book sellers, and everyone makes the money on you. But... It came to a point where we thought we're really happy that they're out in the community and that's why we did it. But of course we would like to make money. So we have a little bit of a plan this time. Um, it's pretty hard to get into shops, I think. And because it's Newton, it's very local. So 
people in Wellington aren't too keen about it, and people in Gisborne and. But we got around that, and they are there in the libraries. They're out there. All the libraries have them. And I think as we release the next one, it'll start making sense because they all relate to each other. And this one's about a girl and being brave and what it's how hard it was to be a woman in the 1800s if you wanted to be a cadet, if you wanted to be in the army. This is Gertie. This is Gertie. Gertie so we, 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 we have explored that. And it's really wonderfully illustrated. Um, with the the fact that it's a children's book and it's geared at children, and there's a lot of learning involved, and, and you can you, know, you can sit down and read to the kids and go over all the resources and encourage them. Have you got any thoughts on local history with regard to schools? You know, with local schools researching local history. I mean, I don't think that happens too much. Or am I wrong? Well, yeah. So I've taught social studies for nearly 10 years. So um, obviously there's different units and things that you have to cover in the curriculum. Um, so coming from that, from teaching um, 13 and up, I was, I've, yeah, I, I was definitely keeping that in mind. And there is a, a, a shift in schools to create more of a, um, a, a local history uh, focus as we move away from like our default colonial history interests um, and so that's one thing that was a huge driving force was just creating a sense of place creating a sense of identity what we've done over and above writing a book for kids is that with Heritage Week at Karanga Happy Road Business Association we're setting up a confessional booth now that's not to be uh, tongue-in-cheek against the Catholics in any form it's actually taking the advantage of what they do and we're actually um, going to set up a camera and a sound system. And you can bring your photographs and your memories into the confessional booth with someone sitting on the other side. So you feel very safe. No one's judging you or you don't have to be filmed. And you can bring these stories to life and they can be edited and then put into an archive of some sort. Probably for the, we'd like to start with Newton. So that Newton Gully and um, 1860 to um, 1930. So that's probably, you know, the Newton East School was taken off in 1933. So I really think it's really important that our communities start to value the people that have built Auckland. You can purchase the book directly at mahibooks.com or alternatively at selected booksellers. And of course, it's on Auckland Library's catalogue. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for tuning in. The Heritage Talks podcast is produced regularly for your education and enjoyment. Talk notes are found on the Talks page at soundcloud.com. Come back whenever you like and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the Talk notes.